Plain Spoken, Episode 6. Spoken, the podcast where we talk about how to live more quietly and with an emphasis on those things that truly matter. My name is Dean Abbott, and I'm the host of this program. If you'd like to connect further with me, the best way to do that right now is on Twitter. You can follow me there at uh, www.twitter.com backslash Dean Abbott. You can also email me directly at Dean at DeanAbbott.com. And I do make an effort to get back to everybody who emails me at that address. If you have emailed me and I haven't gotten back to you, that's because there's a backlog and I'm trying to catch up. If it's been significant amount of time and I haven't gotten back to you and you've emailed me there, please just email me again. That probably just means that your message has fallen through the cracks and I have somehow overlooked it. So please uh, get in touch with me again. This week's episode is going to be a little bit different, and I'm not sure how long it's going to be. I have some notes in front of me, but not as many as I might normally have when I sit down to do an episode, because I had another podcast planned on a totally different topic, but decided to throw that to the wind and do something different instead. So I'm sort of shooting from the hip on this one. Watching the trailers or the ads, and I thought, I'll just uh, tweet about this. I'll send this out and see what uh, people think about this movie. So I sent out a little tweet about my preparing to see this movie that's been so talked about. And several people responded to me, assuring me that I would like the movie, but also asking me to talk about it on this podcast. So I'm going to try to accommodate them by talking a little bit about Joker and about what I saw in that that struck me and try to tie the themes of that film a little bit to the theme of this podcast, which is living more quietly. So that might seem like a daunting task, but I'm up for it, and I'm going to to give it a shot. Well, I'm sure you've heard something about this movie by now. Probably many of you have seen it, so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about the plot. I'm also not going to make special effort here to not giveaway spoilers or I'm I'm just going to talk. So if you haven't seen the movie and you you really are spoiler sensitive and you don't want to have it spoiled, then you might as well stop now and come back to this after you've seen the movie. I think everyone knows that it's the story of how the Joker, Batman's arch nemesis, becomes the Joker. There's no twist ending to the story. It's pretty much straightforwardly that. So even if you haven't seen it and you want to listen before you've seen it, I, I think there I'm not going to be giving any way any big surprises because there aren't many big surprises in terms of twist endings or anything like that that I could give away. But for the sake of... Clarity. I do need to give some plot summary. So the story, as I said, is the story of how the Joker becomes the Joker. 
he starts out as a, as a guy named Arthur Fleck. And I've read a lot about uh, this movie and Arthur Fleck being described as a young man. But Joaquin Phoenix, who plays him, is uh, not someone in his 20s or 30s. Uh, to me, he looked um, all the way through the film, looked mid-40s at least. And I think that changes the dynamic a little bit. So he is a, a, a man living in a very difficult situation with his mother. He seems to have a part-time job as a clown for a clown agency who hires... Uh, it's an agency that rents out clowns, basically, to people who need them for parties. There's a scene where uh, Arthur Fleck is entertaining at a children's ward in a hospital. So he basically is a clown for hire. Routinely, he is abused and beaten on and often physically by everyone around him. So his co-workers are cruel to him. Uh, people in the street are cruel to him. On and on. Even his mother is kind of mean to him at times. And over the course of those two hours, he responds to that cruelty by essentially embracing his shadow self and bringing that to the fore. So let's start with looking at what kind of person Arthur Fleck is. Well, he is a passive victim, mostly. Relentlessly beaten up by the world because he will not lay hold of his inward power. And the only way he ever finds to do that is to, not through integrating his his shadow self, those parts of him where power might lay, but rather by giving himself over to that side of himself so entirely that a new persona emerges and displaces Arthur Fleck entirely so that Arthur's face disappears and his name disappears and is replaced by the moniker Joker. So, why is he that kind of person? Well, a number of reasons. Circumstances blind him. Arthur, as I said, lives in Gotham in a very unappealing Gotham, full of dimness and darkness and ugliness. And he has, I think we're supposed to believe he's lived in that situation his entire life. And he understands himself only in relationship to that context. And so he's unable to think of himself as being outside of that context in any way. He has no distance between himself as he plays a role in his circumstances and an inner self which stands back from the circumstances and makes decisions and evaluates and analyzes and responds to those circumstances. So he's a man who's totally collapsed into his circumstances. And as such, he has accepted the definition that those circumstances and the others he encounters in those circumstances uh, 
have given him of himself. So I think at some level he has accepted that he is a freak. He is a weirdo. He is weak. He is confused. He is mentally ill. All of that because that's what his circumstances reflect back to him. And because he's totally collapsed, he, I think, unconsciously begins to act out the role that he has been assigned, the role of the weirdo, of the outsider, etc. One of the things that really struck me about the beginning of the film, there's a scene near the beginning where Arthur is dressed as a clown, and he's outside a business on the sidewalk in New York City, and he's one of those sign twirlers who, you know, flip the sign around in interesting ways to try to get people to come into the store. Well, he is, his sign is stolen by a gang of young boys. And Arthur chases them down to get the sign back, which ends up with him running into a, a dark alley where they attack and beat him. And it's interesting to, to think about why would a person chase down somebody because they stole a sign like that from you. Especially, why would you chase a, a gang of young boys who have the potential for violence into a dark alley in order to get a sign back that, you know, costs uh, $12 at most? And I think that's evidence that Arthur cannot separate himself from his circumstances. And so that when he is working as a sign twirler, he is totally collapsed into his role as a sign twirler. And so that stealing his sign is not just about a is not just a prank that might cost the sign owner 10 or 12 dollars. It is a an assault on his identity because he, as I said, is collapsed into his role. So because of all of this, he's a person who is disconnected, not just from others, but definitely from himself and from his own inner strength that is necessary for him to connect with in order to fight chaos and integrate his shadow self. This is part of being a passive victim, is that he does not own his own power to choose to act, and he doesn't own his moral power to decide for himself, this is right or wrong, those people should not treat me like that, and to respond in a way that empowers himself to protect himself and to hold those boundary lines clear. Instead, he passively floats along until he loses himself. It's also significant that he really wants to be a comedian. So he's working as a clown, as a guy who wants to be a comedian. It's important because it reveals something of his inner motivation. First off, it shows that for most of the movie, he's really a guy who could go either way. He's a nice enough guy. He's a, he is a person who wants at some level to make other people happy, to make people laugh, to please people. And that's indicative of a kind of empathy that for most of the movie, 
counterbalances his slow descent into jokerness. And it's really what makes the movie an interesting thing to watch because we're always wondering which way is it going to go, which way is it going to go. There's a scene uh, very near the end where he uh, kills someone and there's another person in the apartment and the real tension is, is he going to kill the second person as well? And he does not. And this is what I'm talking about is that even until that late moment, Arthur is a person who is conflicted, who has both empathy and this kind of raging chaos inside of him. He wants to be a comedian because he has that empathy, but he also wants to receive in return adulation from the people who, whom he pleases, from an audience, because he believes, like many, many people in our culture, that having some modicum of fame and some adulation from an audience will soothe the inner pain of your trauma. And in the end, of course, he does get that adulation from an audience once he becomes the Joker. And so there is an important message there that the only way that Arthur Fleck is ever able to achieve that goal of receiving the adulation of an audience is by totally ceasing to be Arthur Fleck. And I think fame is one of the themes of this film and the way that it's seeking, the seeking of fame requires people to cease to be themselves, uh, the very selves that they are seeking to comfort by becoming famous in the first place. His desire to be a comedian also shows his lack of self-awareness. He can't see who he is. He can't see the subtleties of body language and relationship skill that is necessary for to be a successful comedian. And he doesn't know what level of work is required to be a successful comedian. He cannot see how his behavior contributes to the kinds of responses that he gets from others. And he can't understand why... Instead of being a comedian able to make people laugh, he simply becomes an object of derision because he breaks so many subtle social rules. So he doesn't have the level of awareness that is necessary for a career doing something that depends on that awareness, like being a comedian. He's finally, he's very, very focused on his desire for praise. Even if he has good motives, he's driven by the desire for others to affirm him to such a degree that their every failure to do so feels like a rejection. And so there's a scene on the bus where he's making faces at a little kid and the mom says, please stop bothering my kid. Well, he tries to explain himself, defend himself, etc., But I think for a a healthier person would just say, oh, okay, and would not try to engage that mother because a healthier person would just be able to let the situation go. But Arthur can't because he's so fragile that any slight 
becomes a an injustice that must be righted. And so part of what he is pursuing as he becomes the Joker is, in fact, the righting of wrongs, or at least wrongs that he perceives to have been wrong. So that's the very important point about Joker, is that he understands himself to be a person who wants to right the wrongs of the world, much like Batman will want to do, but who ultimately loses a kind of faith that that can be done, and so sets out to destroy the world indiscriminately. To he, he wants to alter reality rather than just to punish wrongdoers. He wants to destroy the arena in which wrongdoing can happen at all. It's also significant that there's really no transcendence of any kind in Gotham. As I watched, I noticed there was not a single church, for example, in the background. It's a totally nihilistic, materialistic world. So there's a second layer of subtext in the movie, of course, which is not about the individual but about society. Because by the end of the film, Joker has ultimately started a movement of followers who plunge Gotham into chaos. So we eventually see the chaos inside the individual man, Arthur Fleck. As it takes him over, as he becomes Joker, he cannot control this any longer. And that chaos, which he comes to represent, connects with the chaos inside others who are struggling to control it. And eventually they band together and rebel against the existing social order, which, of course, ends up with terrible consequences, including the murder of Bruce Wayne's parents. Part of the point here is that it is in society's best interest to avoid this kind of nihilistic, materialistic pattern, because ultimately it gives way to a kind of chaos that undermines society itself. So materialistic, nihilistic cultures do not provide people like Arthur Fleck the means of dealing with their inner chaos. In Fleck's case, all the resources that might have helped him overcome his shadow self and to integrate that in a way that allows him to direct its energy towards something positive All of those resources have been removed from him. And he says something almost like that at the end of the movie. Something like, what do you get when you have a society that takes a a lonely, mentally ill man and treats him like garbage? He says, well, you get what you deserve just before he kills someone. And I think part of the point is that Arthur did not get what he thinks he deserved, which is help. And he's right, because as I said, all of the resources that might have helped him have been stripped away by his nihilistic materialist culture. So he has no family, no faith, no education, even simple human compassion have all evaporated. And when that happens, people thus deprived of that kind of help, they have the potential to become a spark that sets off a cultural 
powder keg that ends up in revolutionary movements of some sort that hurt people. And that's what Joker is about. He is the leader. He becomes the leader of a revolutionary movement um, out of his own personal despondency. Now, near the end of the film, Joker is sitting in a room at the hospital where he's been incarcerated, Arkham State Hospital, and he's laughing. The social worker, he asks him what's so funny, and he says, well, I just thought of a joke. And at that point, the movie cuts to a shot of eight-year-old Bruce Wayne standing in an alley near the bodies of his slain parents. The joke that the Joker is thinking of seems to be how odd it is that in his attempt to even out the scales of all his trauma, to get back at those who've caused his trauma, that Joker has contributed to the continued trauma of the world, particularly in the life of this child. And so I don't know that that's a joke, but it is definitely a kind of irony that I think the Joker sees and that we are supposed to see given the intercutting of that shot. And as we all know, of course, that kid grows up to be Batman. So in this way, in spite of having watched him be beaten up relentlessly in multiple ways for two hours, the movie, the movie doesn't let Arthur Fleck slash the Joker off the hook entirely. Because at the end, it gives us this reminder that he bears responsibility for what he has become. The ultimate difference between the Joker and, and Batman is that they make different choices in regard to their trauma. Of course, Bruce Wayne's circumstances are different, but ultimately, we each bear responsibility for what, who and what we become, and the movie reminds us of that by contrasting Batman and the Joker at that very moment. In some ways, I was thinking, this is the Jordan, P, the Jordan B. Peterson movie. One of Dr. Peterson's repeated themes is that we all have to overcome the chaos within us by establishing order in our lives, and thus his famous maxim, clean your room. The difference between Batman and Joker seems to be that Batman cleaned his room, that he got a grip on the chaos inside of him, at least enough to stay within the bounds of the larger social and legal order most of the time. Now, I know Batman is sometimes concerned with revenge, etc., but he is not, like Joker, a nihilist, insofar as that he is not out to destroy the larger arena of reality in which all action takes place. Okay, He's not there to undermine all order in the way that Joker is. So what does all this have to do with a quieter life? Well, there are a lot of Arthur Flecks out there. That's why this movie's become such a touchstone, such a, such a topic of conversation for people, because many, many people out there relate to Arthur's predicament. Even if they don't live in similar circumstances, they can 
they sense his inward his inward world is something like their own. They can feel his desperation in their own lives. So those people, above all, they need to do is to devote themselves to pursuing the quieter life. Because whatever else the quieter life may be, it is definitely a life which seeks to reduce chaos. So in that, let me give you three or four ideas about things Flex, Arthur Fleck and people who feel like Arthur Fleck might do before finding that their only power comes from unleashing the chaos within. First of all, Fleck could have and should have changed his environment. Gotham in the movie is in the middle of a garbage strike. So literally there's just piles of garbage all over the set. He's walking down the street, and there's just piles of rotting garbage on the street. The whole of the Joker's surroundings are dingy and low energy. Arthur Fleck types need to be looking for ways to get out of those surroundings and into an environment that supports positive changes. Now, for Joker, you know, maybe he could have moved from Gotham to, I don't know, Miami, somewhere else. But for some of us, what that really means is that we need to take a good stock of who it is we are surrounding ourselves with and whether or not those people who are closest to us and we spend the most time with are really reinforcing our attempts to create order in our lives or whether they're undermining it. Are they good influences or not? And if not, then by changing that, you change your environment and you start looking for places that reinforce more positive and high energy sorts of thinking and living. Number two, Arthur could have gotten help. Everyone around Fleck reinforces his low awareness. It's not an accident that this movie is set in the days before the internet. If he'd had access to the internet, he could have easily connected with others who have different perspectives, who could have pushed him into awareness of other options. As it stands, without that option, without the option of the internet, he needed to take some of that power, which he discovers when the Joker begins to emerge, and use that to look for people who will be willing to help him instead of simply drifting by default through very negative environments and very negative social circles. Number three, he, needs to have, he needed to have more realistic goals. Rather than focusing on some abstract dream to become a comedian, Fleck, for example, needed to improve his health. So he's a sm- he smokes uh, relentlessly through the whole film. Well, it would have been a better goal for him to try to stop smoking than to become a comedian, okay? Uh, Maybe in the long run, increased health would help him to become a comedian, but the point is that he has to work on things that are smaller and more related to improving his immediate daily life. 
He could have tried getting off his medications somehow for some way, right? Some look for some treatment for that. The point is that he was passive until the, he becomes chaotic, and he has no realistic, short-term, achievable goals that help to hold that chaos in line. The fact that he is his goal is big, abstract, distant, just reflects and reinforces his lack of awareness. He needs to focus more, as I said, on making his bed and less on making it big. Fourth, he, he needs to pursue some silence. It's not an accident that the Joker's characteristic symptom of his madness is his uncontrollable laughter. When silence comes, he obsessively interrupts it. Guys like Arthur Fleck need silence in order to step back from being wrapped up in the circumstances they find themselves in, as I said at the beginning. It's silence that allows you to uncollapse from your circumstances so that you don't over-identify with them. He needs to get some perspective on that shadow part of himself. And it's in silence that reality tends to come clear and options begin to emerge. It's silence that interrupts the flow of the self toward the shadow. So finally, this movie has become a cultural touchstone because, as I said, there are so many people out there feeling like Arthur Fleck these days. Much more, of course, could be said about the movie. There are many themes I didn't I haven't even touched on in it. But these four suggestions, one, that he changes his environment, that they change their environment, that they get help, that they have more realistic goals, that they pursue silence, these four suggestions that I put forward, I think, will certainly help people who are feeling like Arthur Fleck to contain the chaos and ultimately, I think, to move them all toward a quieter life. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be with you again on the next episode of Plain Spoken. Until then, I hope this helps.